0: I appreciate Jacob and Julia, the cooks, leading out today. What a nice job they did for us. And you all did a nice job singing. I could hear you. I was down in the front, and that's a good thing. But that was a a good good time of worship. So Pastor Bernie's away. He's in uh, Arkansas. Is he still in Arkansas? He's in Arkansas this weekend. So I get a chance to be here, which makes me glad. And uh, we have distinguished guests, don't we? Nice to see different folks here, different times and places. Uh, it's uh, alumni weekend at Forest Lake Academy, so uh might see some we wouldn't normally see and might not see others we normally would, but it's uh, very good to see everyone that's here today, and I'm glad to be here at the bridge today. So let's pray and jump into the word. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I pray your blessing on this service today. On the words spoken, I thank you for the way our hearts have been lifted up in praise. I thank you for everyone who's participated already in this service. Lord, your spirit is at work among your people. Help us to recognize your spirit and to have that same and right spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How do you feel about wolves? Public opinion regarding the place of wolves and their manner, it's kind of waned and waxed through the years. With most recent history, wolves are primarily esteemed, and there's awe and and sometimes almost an idolatrous reverence shown to wolves But what is reality? Is it the big bad wolf? Or is it all that's free and good? Given this duality in our minds, I understand that to try to use wolves as a metaphor today is to risk being misunderstood. As I have no doubts the big bad wolf was, misunderstood that is. I mean, he didn't really mean to destroy the piggies' houses, right? He was just dealing with abandonment issues because the little pigs wouldn't open the door and let him in, right? And how do we know whether or not straw and sticks might have been triggers for wolves? I know my dog, whenever I pick up a stick, got pretty excited, so let's not judge too hastily, right? I personally am a big fan of wolves, having never actually met one in the wild. It's easy to like them from behind the TV screen, isn't it? Yet for today, I'm going totally negative with this metaphor. And so that we can get on the same page together, the title for today is Dinner with Wolves. And when I say Dinner with Wolves, I want you to imagine an insensitive, snarling pack of clannish speciists Who seriously need to check their predator privilege and stop drooling and howling every time a fat little piggy moves into a sturdy materials challenged home in their neighborhood. Dinner with wolves, not dances with wolves. You get the difference, right? Bad wolf. Big. Bad. Wolf. We're on the third week of our spring series, Tasting and Seeing, sometimes life changes at the table. This week, Jesus will be at the table with wolves. This is the small group series, the time each year when we encourage all of you to participate in some sort of a small group. We do up studies that you can take with you and just get together with your friends and study that over. It'll give you a head start on the sabbath coming up if you don't have a group of your own you can come on a monday night pastor steve is here at the church or a tuesday night i'm here and join our groups but regardless of how we've come to imagine wolves today and in truth in my mind they're magnificent creatures who play an important role in the ecosystem yet regardless of how we view them today the bible takes a very negative view of wolves. Now, I want to just take a second here for an important interpretive side note. Because the Bible always describes wolves as a metaphor for bad things, does that mean scripture teaches we should hate wolves? This is not a minor point. Because this is the trap of an unthoughtful biblical literalism, a model of interpretation that many people high-mindedly try to force us into. Just because the Bible consistently uses wolves as a negative metaphor doesn't mean the Bible teaches we should hate and kill wolves. I think we understand that, right? But remember this, next time you hear someone trying to use a claimed biblical literalism in an attempt to justify their own irrational behavior. But back to wolves in the Bible. I think it makes sense why, the, why wolves don't come off well in the Bible. I think it's because of this. So many of the people who read the Bible at that point. Or read these books that were being written at that point, And even so many of the authors themselves were shepherds. And amongst shepherds, wolves don't usually get much praise, do they? Ezekiel 22, verse 27, speaking of Jerusalem, her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Or Jesus warning his disciples, Matthew 10, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Wolves are so bad, they make snakes look good. That's how bad wolves are in the Bible. But there is probably no reference to wolves that better suits what Jesus was to encounter in our text than these wolves that Jesus mentions at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. The danger in having dinner with wolves is if you aren't careful, you won't be dining. You'll be dinner. And so in that context, I give you Jesus' dinner with wolves. Luke 14 verse 1, one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. That's very wolf-like behavior, isn't it? Watching, waiting, looking for the chance to catch their prey. I believe they'd set a trap for Jesus, so the text doesn't say that directly, but let me know what you think. Luke 14 verse 1, one Sabbath When Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Okay, there is no way a group of Pharisees would ever invite a man with abnormal swelling to their dinner just for fun. He's there for a reason. He's there as bait for Jesus. And it's quite obvious from this story right up front that this isn't going to be one of those nice little get-togethers amongst friends No, there's some important things on the line today. And this is a truth that becomes obvious as this story progresses. The challenge for Jesus, though it will prove to be a challenge he completely rejects, is whether or not Jesus will agree to play by the wolf pack rules and find his place in the order of the pack, or he will violate the rules and be thrown out of the pack. So here's a little spoiler alert. Jesus isn't about to play by the pack rules. And in fact, he's about to attack the pack rules. And his attack starts with an act of mercy. Is there anything more offensive around a pack of wolves than an act of mercy? Again, don't think about how cute wolves are to us today. Stick with the context. We're talking about bad wolves. Big, bad wolves. And in this act of mercy, an act that the wolves themselves seem to have set up Jesus to perform, Jesus makes it clear from the start he's not going to conform, even if it would have been easy enough for him to conform. Why do I say easy? Well, consider the rest of this portion. Luke 14, verse three, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Jesus takes the bait, he heals the man, and then he challenges the wolves. Verse 5, then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Now, I imagine at this point there was a bit of confusion with the Pharisees who laid this trap suddenly not sure whether Jesus had done the right thing or not. And simultaneously not sure if the explanation that Jesus gives for his action, given in the form of a question, is actually valid to justify what Jesus just did. I'll read it to you again and think about this, whether you think this is valid. Verse 5, then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Is this a valid defense? Now I know Jesus said it, so it has to be valid, right? Okay, I accept that as true enough. But realize if if this is the fullness with how you wrestle with the biblical text, then you're simply accepting authority as the basis for righteous acting without actually wrestling with yourself and your own thinking to understand why Jesus did what he did. And I'm happy that it's our privilege to do this because we, by default, do believe that whatever Jesus did in his day was right. But if our thinking is too oversimplified, we'll know very clearly what we should have done had we been Jesus in his day and still know nothing about what we should do in our day. We've got to understand why Jesus did what he did in order to apply it to our lives now. If we can only discern truth and righteousness based upon who has spoken a word or performed an act and are unable on our own to discern why something is either true or righteous, then we will necessarily always be forced to turn our free will over to some external authority willing to tell us what things are right and what things are wrong. I think we're living in an America right now where the majority of the people in this country have turned over their free will to one group or another who tells them what is right or tells them what is wrong. And don't worry if you're stuck here. There will always be plenty of authorities willing and eager to control your mind. There's always an alpha wolf out there somewhere. So let's read this again, and let me paraphrase something that Jesus said. He said, what is written in the law, how readest thou? In other words, what he says is it's one thing to know what's written, but what does it mean? So here we go, Luke 14:5. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Now, I don't think I would have been a very good Pharisee because I lacked the self-discipline that apparently you had to have to be a Pharisee. However, much too often for my liking, I am able to conceive of reality from the Pharisee's perspective. And here is why, had I been in the room that day, Jesus' answer might well have left me unsatisfied, but yet also suspicious at the same time that maybe I was missing something important. The whole issue with the setup with this sick man is not whether or not Jesus will heal, but rather whether or not Jesus will do it during the sacred hours of the Sabbath, an act that would go against the wolf pack rules of what is acceptable behavior on the Sabbath. And to this end, this trap is well laid, for though this man is suffering... His condition is not critical. He's not going to die before the end of the day. It is literally not going to kill this man to wait until tomorrow or until after the sun goes down in order to be healed. And Jesus, if he was going to play along with the pack rules, would clearly have done just that. He would have waited till after the Sabbath and then healed the man. Now, let's just give that approach a little love for a moment, because in all likelihood, if we had been in that situation, that's probably what we would have done. And the assumptions that would have driven us to that action go like this. First, in order to be a significant leader within the pack, one must at least acknowledge the pack rules and in fact defer to them from time to time. You want to be important in the pack, you better know the rules. You better know when to follow them, right? Second point, point. and since it is better to have these guys, even though they're wolves, on my side than it is to have them against me, why not try to find a way to satisfy the pack rules since this isn't, in fact, a life or death scenario? Therefore, I'm gonna take the man's number, And see to it that he's healed first thing after sundown. This would have no doubt been the expedient and the easiest choice. And the best way for Jesus to continue to gain higher and higher standing in the pack. But you see, herein lies the problem. Jesus doesn't seem to appreciate what higher standing in the pack will get him. So much does he not seem to understand this fact that he goes on after this initial event and twice calls out the pack rules with their hierarchy and their order. We're going to read these quickly to establish the point. Luke 14 verse 7. This happens immediately after the healing. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now understand, both of these statements of Jesus upend the established pack rules. I mean, think about this in this, what Jesus says to them, they were so organized as a pack that you knew which seat at the table was the most honored and which seat was the least. That's how organized they were. But Jesus turns it over in both of what he says in both of these, for they both speak against striving for supremacy And on behalf of acts of goodness and acts of kindness and acts of humility that run the risk of leaving the one who does the good work completely unknown. You see, you don't gain standing in the community by inviting to dinner those people who can't do you any good. Yet these acts that Jesus is calling for are still acts with power. Not the power to make you famous for doing it, but instead the power to incrementally, little by little, literally change the world. For one thing, dinner is far more pleasant when half the room isn't feeling irritated because they're sitting in the less honored seats. And I suppose the world would be a nicer place If lots of lonely and ignored people, for lots of lonely and ignored people, if those of us who have long standing lists of invitations broke out of our payback model and started reaching outside our circle. But since when is pack life all about feeling good and doing good? Isn't pack life supposed to be about gaining praise and admiration and power? Which brings us back to the first part of the text. The part where Jesus heals the sick man. I made this statement earlier regarding the healing of the man. In this act of mercy, an act that the wolves themselves seem to have set up Jesus to perform. Jesus makes it clear from the start he isn't going to conform Even if it would have been easy for him to do so. The easy way out for Jesus was obvious. Heal the man, yes. But wait till after Sabbath. That will satisfy their rules and make the man whole. And the only price? Well, a sick man has to deal with his ailment for a few hours longer. That's not so much to ask, right? I mean, okay, if it's an emergency, then by all means, Jesus, heal him. But this is no emergency. And it is this line of thinking, or at least that definition of what an emergency is, that could cause us to think the answer Jesus has given is somewhat non-sequitur. Consider the words of Jesus again. Verse 5, then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox... That falls into a well on the Sabbath day. Will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. It's clear from what Jesus is saying to them that there is a threshold that everyone in the room is willing to cross to break Sabbath rules. And that threshold apparently is defined as an emergency. And it seems clear enough that a child or an ox in a well is a pretty serious emergency and a situation requiring immediate action because you can't leave your kid in a well until sundown. It's just really bad parenting. These are situations that are literally life and death. But is Jesus reasoning fairly? to equate this sick man with these life and death situations? Well, I suppose it depends on how you define an emergency. Was the man with the swelling in a life or death drama? No, or at least not one that involved his own immediate life. So from the standpoint of a Pharisee, it seems simple enough to ask him to wait until our sacred Sabbath is over. But it would seem Jesus sees things a little differently. And whether you consider another hour of suffering an emergency or not, it seems Jesus considers another hour of suffering an emergency. And it seems he is willing to act immediately to relieve discomfort even in a situation we would not consider life-threatening. Jesus seems to me to be saying, if it is within your capacity to show mercy and to do good, then you should show mercy and do good, regardless of whether it breaks the pack rules, and even if it costs you your standing in the pack. Now, I'm certain that we, with our finely honed skills in self-justification, could easily misuse this train of thought to justify just about anything we wanted to do simply by defining any restraint we feel upon ourselves as a silly pack rule. <clears throat> and then redefining any action we take, as a noble standing against the tyranny of the rules. I hope that's not the lesson you're getting here. I'm not justifying selfishness in the name of violating pack rules. Instead, I hope this is the lesson you're getting. Be merciful and do good every time you get the chance and stop Worrying about your standing in the pack. Why? Because the kingdom Jesus wants us to build is not the kingdom of wolves. Where it's all about power and position and who eats first and who eats most. Galatians 5.15 If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's the kingdom of the wolves. This is not the kingdom we are building. Instead, we should be building the kingdom of God. The kingdom where wolves stop acting like, well, wolves. Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness the sash around his waist. And what will happen? The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child shall lead them. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, in the kingdom that Jesus is building, sick men and women don't have to wait for us to satisfy pack rules before they get the healing they so badly need. And if there is any striving, it is only striving to be merciful and gracious and loving to all inside the pack and outside the pack. And as for fame, that will never be the motive. For often the greatest works that are ever done go completely unnoticed. This week my son Nathan... Shared a line from the end of the George Eliot novel, Middlemarch. A line that I think summarizes well what I hope you take from this message today. The comment is about Dorothea, the main character of the novel and is made in the context of how she was kept by her choices from ever becoming known or famous. And in the context of the book, there's some question as to whether this is an affirmation or not. But in the context of Jesus' actions, I believe, We should absolutely see this as an affirmation. Here it is. It's going to be on the screen so you can read it. But the effect of her being on those around her was incalculably diffuse. For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Here's what it's saying. Our lives aren't half as bad as they would have been were it not for the righteous acts of those who came before us who we don't even know what they did and we don't even care where they're buried. What it means is this, you matter. You matter to God and your contribution, whether it ever gets recognized by the pack or even noticed, no matter how small you think it is, your contribution changes the world. You might not ever get invited to dinner with wolves, But the truth is, that might be a good thing. And it matters not if no one ever visits your tomb. Your contribution has made a difference. And the growing good in the kingdom of God is in fact partly dependent upon your unhistoric acts. All those little things you did that nobody noticed and nobody thought, Now, who cares? You made a difference every time you showed mercy and did good. Just because your acts of righteousness have not been seen and appreciated here doesn't mean they are not known. Every one of them is known by Jesus. And like he promised in our text today, you will be repaid in abundance at the resurrection of the righteous. So don't be afraid next time you go to dinner with wolves, remember what Jesus has said, Luke 14, 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So here's what I want you to take home. Be merciful. Do good. Stop worrying about the pack. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus has shown us the way, that we should show mercy even if the pack says no, that we should do good any time we can, and that where we stand in the order of the pack has nothing to do with where we stand in the eyes of heaven. So help us, Lord to be merciful, and to do good. In Jesus' name, amen.